I don't feel lonely when I see the be you know on an We are in Surah Al-Zumar, Surah number 39, Ayah number 7. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Al-Qajim, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. In takfuru fa inna Allah ghaniyun ankum, wa la yarda li'ibadihi al-kufr, wa in tashkuru yardahu lakum. تزر وازرة وزر أخرى ثم إلى ربكم مرجعكم فينبئكم بما كنتم تعملون إنه عليم بذات الصدور Here in this ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says If you disbelieve then you must know Allah is totally independent of you. He doesn't need you. Your disbelieving in him will not affect him whatsoever. You need to believe in him for your good. He has nothing to gain if you believe in him and he has nothing to lose if you don't believe in him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's uh, divinity is independent of human beings and human actions. Human actions don't influence the divine, nor his names and attributes. He remains constant and permanent, regardless of what human beings do. Then he says, Allah doesn't like He's not pleased with kufr for his servants. He's not pleased that his servants take on the path of disbelief. He doesn't want them to disbelieve. He doesn't need them to believe, but at the same time, he doesn't want them to disbelieve. This is now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, bringing in the discussion of Allah's pleasure and Allah's displeasure. So there's a lot of theological discussion behind this statement in this ayah, which we don't need to go to. That's uh, theology 400. <laughs> and you're basically in theology 100 here. But anyway. The idea is that Allah doesn't like his servants to disbelieve in him. Allah wants his servants to believe in him, although he doesn't need them. So, without making any comparison or contrast or a bridge between human beings and the divine, you can say that a father who is very, very rich and wealthy, okay, does, doesn't need the son to work for him, but he wants to, he wants him to work for him, doesn't need his money, but he wants him to uh, be pleased with him and then work for him, 
again, it's not a simile or a contrast or a comparison. You can't do that. We don't compare human beings and their actions with Allah and his names and attributes. But it would be something for you to think of and say, maybe there's a window there where you could perhaps relate in a very remote way to say that Allah is pleased with certain actions and he is displeased with other actions even though those actions bear no significance to the divine yeah, and that is the mean of Ghani. Al-Ghani is the one who is totally independent yet he is exceptionally uh, generous and the more independent you are the more generous you will become that's in humans. وَإِن تَشْكُرُوا يَرْضَهُ لَكُمْ And if you were to be grateful and believe in him, then indeed he will be pleased with you. So now if you want Allah's pleasure, then the way to please him is to believe in him and to be grateful for everything he has given you. That's with the divine system. That Allah is not in need. He is totally... Uh, independent of human beings but he does uh, want human beings to please him and he wants human beings to believe in him and to be grateful to him and that is something that's pleasing to him the next part of the ayah discusses now human actions that no one will uh, bear the burden of the burden of the other. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, makes man responsible for his acts. Okay. Allah is not responsible for the actions of man. Man is responsible for his own acts and man must take responsibility. So then man's actions aren't transferred into the accounts of other human beings. Every human being bears his own burden where the word wazir uh, wizr okay, may have a slant towards sin because it's a burden that is not good to carry. Fine. So no human being will bear the burden or bear the sin of another human being. Allah has made every individual human being responsible for his life, for his actions, for his intentions, volition, and everything else. It's straightforward. Uh, the Islamic concept which has been there since time immemorial. Okay, Adam was responsible for his act and Hawa was responsible for her act. And Qabil, the son of Adam, is responsible for his act and Habil, the other son of Adam, is responsible for his act. No one is going to be carrying the burden for anyone else Except that on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may allow uh, certain people to transfer their burdens and their sins to others who have wronged them, mm, others who have oppressed others. They may carry the burden and sins of others if their good deeds have expired and or good deeds have died or they've been taken away. So this is in the court of social justice. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow people who come and make a case against those who have done harm to them in the world. That is one place where the burden is transferred uh, because they have been wronged. Uh, 
you know, otherwise this is not allowed in our theology. ثُمَّ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكُمْ مَرْجِعُكُمْ فَيُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ And then it is to your Lord alone that your return is. مَرْجِعُكُمْ Your return, place of return is only to your Lord. You're not going anywhere after you die except to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is your Lord. He has sustained you. He has raised you. And He has prepared you for this world. And you must prepare for the other world. And then what happens when you return to him? He will then inform you. And he will not uh, hide anything from you, of you. Uh, he will inform you of everything that is what you have done. Um, indeed, he is all-knowing of those people uh, or the people, what is in the breasts of people. Um, so sometimes you may think and you may believe or assume that nobody knows what you're thinking. But Allah knows what you're thinking. So Allah knows your actions and Allah knows your thoughts. <coughs> Except your thoughts are forgiven because if you haven't acted on them, if they're sinful, and your thoughts are rewarded if you acted on them, if they are rewarding. That is how we see him. But Allah is now establishing the paradigm or the aqeedah that he knows what people think also. Not only does he know actions, he knows what people think. So in this sense, he knows that this one committed this sin and he is responsible for his sin and his sin will not be transferred to another person. That's the rule of law and that's the rule of justice and that's what we believe. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure is in pleasing him and Allah's displeasure is in displeasing him. That's also the aqeedah we find uh, in this ayah. The next ayah talks about the ma man's uh, attitude and approach to life when something, God forbid, goes wrong. وَإِذَا مَسَّ الْإِنسَانُ ضُرٌ دَعَا رَبَّهُ مُنِيبًا إِلَيْهِ ثُمَّ إِذَا خَوَّلَهُ نِعْمَةً مِّنْهُ نَسِيَ مَا كَانِ يَدْعُوْ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ قَبْلُ وَجَعَلَ لِلَّهِ أَنْدَادًا لِيَضَلَّ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ قُلْ تَمَتَّعْ بِكُفْرِكَ خَلِيلًا إِنَّكَ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ النَّارِ When an affliction touches man, ضُرٌ An affliction, a harm, when it touches man, Masa means to touch. Uh, what does man do? Man summons and calls and petitions his Lord, Munib and Ilay, turning totally towards him. Uh, that is man. That when someone, if something is going wrong in life, and uh, something bad is happening, or there's a misfortune or a calamity, and then uh, you turn towards Allah. You make wudu, you do your salat, you go to the masjid, you do sadaqah. You do something that uh, attracts Allah's attention in a favorable way towards you. Muniban ilayhi, that's the key. Focusing towards him. Uh, this is what man does and that is a very natural thing for man to do. It is one of the proofs of Allah's existence. 
that when man is in trouble, he calls on God. Who else are you going to call on? There's no one there who can help you except Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is man. This is a natural phenomenon. And the Quran is mentioning this as a natural phenomenon. And this is what man should do. Man does do. However, when then, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him, bestows upon him a ni'mah, a blessing from his side, meaning that he relieves man of his affliction okay, and his problem and his distress, then what happens to man? That all of a sudden now he forgets what he has just before uh, called. He forgets the one that uh, he has uh, summoned and petitioned just before. Meaning that he forgets who Allah is. He forgets God because now he is entangled with the ni'mah that Allah gives him. So now in the first phase or episode, man is totally in distress, in turmoil. And he uh, beseeches God and he invokes Allah's name and he does everything that brings about divine attention. And then when the divine attention gives man a favorable ni'mah, something that helps him remove the distress from him, then man, instead of focusing again on Allah for shukr, to thank him, man gets tangled with the ni'mah. Oh, this is great. And then he forgets who God is. <laughs> yeah, this is a bit of drama from man. Man is very dramatic. Human beings like drama. And they play drama with their Lord all the time. So there's a bit of humor in this human plight that you must take from it. It's serious, but at the same time, it is now very, very foolish of man to assume that the ni'mah is his. The ni'mah is not his. The ni'mah is Allah's. If it's Allah's, then you must make shukr and thank Allah for the ni'mah and please him even more and do more ibadah and so on instead of uh, going towards the other way, towards the ni'mah and saying, this is mine now. So the man claims it's his. And he makes rivals to God. Mm. Not just for the polytheists who worship stones and statues, but also non-polytheists who are, are worshipping Allah as monotheists and as Muslims, what they do is that now someone else who is the reason for the ni'mah to be delivered, okay, man makes that delivery man a rival to God. So now that the company that gives you the job is your God. Or the businessman who gave you the contract is your God. Or somebody else who helped you remove your distress from life becomes your God. So that's your nid rival. You made these now delivery men rivals. <laughs> Allah is saying, he's just a delivery man. I'm the one that gave you the gift. <laughs> so that they may remove him from his path. Meaning the delivery man 
removes and misguides the person from the path of Allah and that is what happens all the time unfortunately with all human beings save a few illa man except a few whom Allah favors they will then say this is a ni'mah from Allah this person needs to be thanked because he is a delivery man uh, but I need to thank Allah more because Allah is the one who made this happen He's the one who sent and dispatched the delivery man in the first place. And this is how Allah then says, قُلْ تَمَتَّعْ بِكُفْرِكَ قَلِيلًا Say, O Muhammad when these types of people approach you, or when this is discussed, say, that or the angels will say to the man who's going through this, it could be anyone, the, the word قُلْ may refer to, the one who's delivering this message, who is the Prophet Sallallahu it may be referring to the angel who is now saying this uh, to man as man now stoops further into the ni'mah. Tamatta'a bi kufrika. Enjoy your kufr. Enjoy your, uh, your ingratitude a little. Yeah, meaning, okay, we'll give you some time to enjoy this ni'mah, just a little. One year, two years, five years, ten years, whatever. In comparison to the akhir is a little. So enjoy yourself and take advantage of the little enjoyment that you have. Tamatta in in of itself is a word that shows and denotes a little. Mata'a, from which mata is a word from which this word tamatta'a comes, also signifies a little thing. So enjoy, enjoy for a little while this little thing, like that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now saying to human beings that you may do this and think that you are above God, but you're not. إِنَّكَ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ That indeed you are from the companions of the fire. If you go this way, if you continue on this path, you will end up being with the people of the fire. And that's not where you want to go. That if you have made the ultimate kufr, the kufr of denying Allah's existence and so on. And even if you haven't denied Allah's existence and you make the kufr, uh, the ingratitude, which is the literal meaning of the word kufr, then it might be that you will end up in the fire for a few days until Allah relieves you and saves you from there. Yeah. So this is a world view of man. It's one of the major themes of the Qur'an, that man in distress calls God. When Allah removes the distress, man forgets God and engages with whatever it is he is now preoccupied with. And then man's fate is sealed by Allah saying, well, we gave you all the opportunity to thank me and to take control of your life and become a better person, but you did not do so. Therefore, your punishment is here, right in front of you. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exposes the naked and blatant ingratitude of human beings. So that's what it is, that human beings must make shukr and give thanks to all the inamat one by one and also collectively. Anyway, this is something, as I said, it's a major theme of the Qur'an so that this ayah will relate to all human beings 
at any time of their lives, whether you're Muslim, non-Muslim, uh, whether you are from this religion, whether you don't have a religion, whether you're agnostic, whether you're atheist, it doesn't matter. You will call in your life sometime. At one point in your, in your life, you will call Allah and you will call to God and say, God help me. natural phenomenon for man to now experience and behave this way. As for the one who is devout and obedient, someone who is obedient and devout at the same time, meaning to, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, okay, throughout the night, throughout the moments of the night, the moments of the night, sajidan in a state of sajda, even in a state of standing and reciting the Qur'an, he fears the akhirah, and he hopes and longs for the mercy of his Lord. Okay. Who is that person? Ammanu. Is such a person, meaning there's an implied question there, is this person who is devout and obedient to Allah and thanking Allah through his acts of worship, is he better than the previous man uh, who forgot Allah? when Allah delivered a ni'mah to him at the time of the distress. Yeah. That's the question Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking and posing in this ayah that is kind of uh, carrying on the conversation from the previous ayah. قُلْ هَلْ يَسْتَوِ الَّذِينَ يَعْلَمُونَ وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Say, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, are those who know equal to those who do not know? those who know are not on equal footing uh, of those who don't know. So when you know, you are going to be higher in rank um, and uh, in a much better position than those who don't know. So there is no uh, second-guessing knowledge. Uh, so knowledge has its merits and its honor, uh, its dignity and so on. At the same time, not knowing is not virtue not something that is significant and so on. But this part of the ayah is tied with the first part because they come together in the same ayah. Those who know will be grateful and they will perform duties and acts of shukr. In that sense they know. Those who know and don't perform the acts of duty and shukr, then they may not be included in those who know. Because it's a necessary uh, byproduct of knowledge is amal. Okay. Amal is the fruit. Action is the fruit of the tree of knowledge. If the tree of knowledge has many branches uh, and so on, and, but it doesn't bear any fruit, then the purpose of knowledge is lost. So the purpose of knowledge is to act and be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by showing through your acts that Allah is the one who gave me these uh, blessings and 
gifts and so on. In that sense, we may then say, Qul hal Say those who know are not on equal footing with those who do not know. That is in the context of the ayah that you have to bring the action of those who know into the discussion and into the equation. Outside of the ayah, the statement holds true also. Regardless of whether you find someone who knows acting on his knowledge or not, the virtue of knowledge independent of anything else is going to be much higher in rank than those who do not know. So if knowledge and information is always golden in our civilization, it's much better to know than not to know. And this is how yeah, Allah subhanahu wa will separate those who know and do good deeds and those who know and do not do good deeds, those who know, who don't know, and do good deeds, and those who don't know, and don't do good deeds. Mm. So in these four categorizations, you'll find a place for you. So make sure you're in the first. You're amongst those who know, and those who do also. <laughs> and this part of the ayah will confirm what it is I just said that indeed only those who have the lub, the deeper understanding, will take heed. Ulul al-bab. Al-bab is from the word lub. Lub is the kernel inside a stone. So those who perceive the innermost reality of knowledge will take heed. Will pay attention to what it is we are saying. So it's a deeper level of knowledge. Okay? So you know at the surface level, then you act. Then the fruit of your action is that you will know more. And that further knowledge is what is the purpose of the amal, the action you do. Okay, so now you have three in the sequence one is those who know. And the second are those who act when they know. And the third is those who know after they act. Ulul uh, al-bab. So they get to, they eat the fruit, and they see the stone, and they break the stone, and they get the kernel. Uh, so in that sequence, ulul uh, al-bab is a very intriguing phrase that the Quran uses. It refers to those who have deeper knowledge than those who have first level knowledge. We won't say it's superficial because you're not supposed to uh, um, derogate knowledge in any way, shape or form. And the first level of knowledge and then you have a deeper level of knowledge. So those who have a deeper level of knowledge will then take on the dhikr, yatadhakkar, take on another meaning from the original knowledge that they have and that is the purpose of their amal. So their amal, their actions also give fruits. It's very unique. So you have a tree, you have a bark, you have a trunk, you have the bark, and you have the branches, and you have the fruit. Okay. So that, that should be it, right? Your knowledge is your tree, and the fruit is your amal, your action, and that should be it. So Allah says, no, that's not it. Uh, there's another level that you must also perceive and then receive. 
and that is you must gain another level of knowledge which is the fruit of your amal. Right. The fruit of your amal is further knowledge and that is why the knowledge of the Sahaba was the deepest because their amal was the best. That's why we say their knowledge is the deepest because this is there. They were all al-albab. They understood the realities of this world and the realities of the other world and the akhirah and that is how they were and that is how we justify the Sahaba being the most knowledgeable people in this ummah and from this ummah because they received the fruits of their fruits. Yeah. So anyway, this is now, in that case, you can go back to the original statement, that that, at that deeper level, makes perfect sense. That those who know the, the true knowledge or the inner knowledge and the deeper knowledge is they're going to be much, much higher than those who don't know. Okay. So anyway, this, all, this discussion starts with the idea or the aqidah that Allah doesn't like kufr for human beings. And the reason he doesn't like kufr for human beings is because human beings will not develop with kufr. Kufr is something that stops you from developing as a human being. Uh, kufr means to hide, and it means to hide the seed. The word kafir was used for a farmer uh, before the Quran was used, uh, before the Quran was revealed. Hmm? Kafir is someone who plants the seed, hides the seed in the ground, and then the ground does not bring out the tree and the plant or whatever it is that's inside the seed. So the kafir hides his potential and his ability. So Allah doesn't want that. Allah wants human beings to expose their potential and their abilities so that they may eat the fruits of their own potential. And that is how you give shukr to Allah. That is how you thank Allah in the sense that we are all grateful to Allah for the ni'mah. What happens is that Allah sends sometimes distress uh, signals and distress itself to human beings to remind them who is in control. And when that reminder comes, then man for a period of time will go back to Allah and say, Allah help me. And he'll remember Allah, but then he forgets. <laughs> right? As the ayah says. So once he forgets, then he goes back to a state of kufr. And then he forgets Allah exists totally. And then uh, he is then guilty of a major sin which may lead him into the fire where his potential is totally destroyed. Hmm. Yeah. So now Allah doesn't like la yurda in kufr. He doesn't like, he's not pleased with kufr for his servants. Meaning in this sense that the servants through their kufr hide their potential and their abilities and they don't allow themselves to grow out from the ground and they, uh, they prevent themselves from eating uh, their own fruits, which is now a dereliction of duty and also a great disaster for human beings. So if man works on himself, he will get to the level of amal uh, and action, and then when man acts, he will get to the level of ulul al-bab, where he is now enjoying something at a much higher, much deeper level, and that is where he will take heed 
and you'll see the signs of Allah in you, with you, through you, and around you, and so on. Anyway, so, so it's just that the discussion is connected to the ayah, which starts from ayah number seven. Uh, so you must take the whole discussion and then understand it as a whole. Qul ya ibadil ladheena amanu attaquu rabbakum lilladheena ahsanu fi hadhi dunya hasana wa arudullahi wa asi'ah innama yuwafas sabirun ajrahum bighayr hisab. Another amazing ayah from all the amazing ayats of the Quran. This ayah takes man to a totally different level. Okay, so the first level is that you reach the level of ulul albab, where you are at a deeper level of understanding life and nature and reality, and then Allah's ni'mah, and then the actions of Allah Himself. Here in this one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing those who are His close servants. Say, O Muhammad, say, inform people, O you servants of mine who believe. Allah is addressing those who believe. Ittaqu Rabbakum. Fear your Lord. Be devout to your Lord. And be God fearing of your Lord. Your Lord is the one that raises you, takes you from one level of gratitude to another level of gratitude and shukr. So fear him because the more you fear him and the more you're devout, the more he will raise you. Taqwa and rububiyyah go together. If you worship Allah, then Allah should take you from one stage and step to another stage and step so that you're constantly growing and you're moving in the right direction. So there is growth and there is movement with taqwa. Uh, taqwa is not something that prevents you from motion and from movement. Taqwa is the reason why you move. Taqwa is the wind that makes your ship move. If you don't have taqwa, then you won't have wind. And this is favorable wind which is taking you towards your Rabb, towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So taqwa, or being God-fearing, is not something that's negative or preventative, or it's uh, preventive in the sense that it stops and stifles you. It does exactly the opposite. Taqwa makes you more aggressive, uh, makes you more in touch with reality, makes you more lean towards good actions because you know you're going to die. And life is valuable and precious. The more time you spend in good deeds, uh, the more you'll have taqwa and so on. لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُوا فِي هَذِهِ الدُّنْيَا حَسَنًا When you have taqwa, then you have ihsan. Those who do good deeds in this world, those who do good deeds, أَحْسَنُوا is from the word أَحْسَنَ إِحْسَان, which is the masdar, shows that there is something more than just doing a good deed. It's a good deed in the sense that it's always going to be leaning towards perfection. As much as possible within the human uh, power and so on. So, in this world, for them, there is hasana. For them, there is what? Hasana. Okay, this word hasana, unfortunately, is uh, grossly misunderstood by Muslims. Unfortunately, what is hasana in the akhirah? Hasana in this dunya, okay, you have a good life. Uh, 
house, a car, education, family, you know, that's hasana, okay, fine. At the surface level, that's fine. We'll concede. But what is hasana in the akhirah then? وفي الآخرة حسن إذا وجد حسن إني آخر حسن is a loaded word uh, which brings about a sense of beauty right uh, sense of jamal uh, that you will be comfortable but that comfort is not regulated or measured by material comfort it is measured by your spiritual comfort and that is what taqwa gives you. Taqwa gives you a sense of spiritual comfort. That is the hasana Allah promises those who have taqwa. Okay? Because invariably, unfortunately, you might see, and you might conclude rightly so, that those who seem to be pious don't have too much of the world around them. <laughs> right. So where's the hasana? The hasana is the beauty within them. Hasana is the good within them. Uh, hasana is the, are the good deeds that they're able to perform with ease. People who have taqwa perform deeds, good deeds with ease and comfort. That is the hasana. Okay? Their ability to do good deeds is in itself a hasana, a type of hasana. Uh, no doubt. So the word hasana there for those who know some Arabic with tanween. Tanween will be little bit no to show a type of hasana. So there's a type of hasana that is for those who do ihsan in this world. In this world, then they will be able to perform and they will be able to suffice with much more, much little than those who have plenty. Uh, because not everybody who has plenty are necessarily happy. Unfortunately, they have to resort to drugs and opioids and other forms of uh, distractions in order to survive their lives in this world. So the hasana is not to be measured simply in material terms. It has to be measured in the Islamic terms. That is the Quran and the Sunnah. So hasana will be, in fact, measured by the amount of sukoon that Allah brings to their lives through their taqwa and their good deeds. So this is how we uh, understand at least the uh, first level of understanding. Okay, this proves what I'm saying. Allah's land and earth is vast. What does that mean? How do you tie, it, tie this in with hasana? Allah promises those who do ihsan and good deeds hasana. If there's hasana, why are you saying Allah's land is vast? Why can't you have hasana in the land you live? It is because there's an implication, God forbid, you are persecuted somewhere, then you may go and find hasana elsewhere. Right? That persecution is that hasana. The Prophet in Makkah, he was persecuted, he had to leave. Is that hasana or not hasana? Uh, how would you identify that part of his seerah? Is it hasana or not hasana? So we say every part of the Prophet's life is hasana. You can't say it's not hasana. So hasana in that sense means uh, that you have sukoon. That's what I was saying. That even, you're per even though you're persecuted, you're not uh, detached from Allah. That in itself is a hasana. And then if you are, God forbid, persecuted in a land, 
where you're not able to practice your deen and worship Allah freely, then Allah's land is vast. Go somewhere where you can worship Allah freely. That's the implication. And this ayah was revealed before the hijrah. Surah Zumar is a Makki surah and is referring to the mindset of the Sahaba who believed and the Prophet that uh, you may not find material hasana in a piece of land. If that's the case, then go to another piece of land where you will find this uh, hasana in the, t- in, the, in the sense that you'll be free to worship Allah uh, the way you want to. That in itself is a huge hasana. The ni'mah of worshipping Allah the way you want to is a huge ni'mah. Muslims should really value this ni'mah and talk about it in public, that we are blessed in this country, alhamdulillah, keep it and preserve it, to worship Allah the way you want to. Yeah, God forbid this goes away, then what's going to happen? Uh, I mean, the, 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 uh, what do you call it, the, the solution is there, but you don't want it to go that far, inshallah. Right? Think of people in other countries who can't worship Allah freely. Look at their, how they are, the plight. Muslims of China, right? See how they are, persecuted day in day, they can't do anything. They're stuck there, other Muslims who are barricaded and landlocked in other places, the Rohingya people, suffering in Burma and other Muslims in other parts of the world where they're just being persecuted day and night uh, and uh, they don't have a way out to worship Allah freely. So the, the idea of freedom for Muslims is uh, hinging on the ability to worship Allah freely. That's your freedom. Uh, It's not freedom to do sin. It's freedom to worship Allah. So unfortunately Muslims who are secular minded, they go the other way and say, we need the freedom to do anything we want to. But if that's what you want, you're going to be, you know, unfortunately persecuted in a different way. That's not the freedom you want to brag about, that we can do anything we want in this country. The freedom you should be thankful for is your ability to worship Allah the way you want to. You can have your own masjid and not care about anyone else in the world by law. Right? In this country, by law, if you build your own masjid, it's yours. You can worship Allah the way you want. Nobody will interfere. It's a huge ni'mah. And we mustn't knock it. Some of the ni'mah that Allah has given us in this country, we mustn't knock them. We must be grateful for whatever Allah has provided for us. Because, uh, God forbid, if this is taken away, then Allah's land is very spacious for you to go and worship Allah wherever you want, in some other place in the world. So this is why I'm saying it proves that the word hasana in the previous sentence part of the ayah, doesn't necessarily reflect material gain and success. Because you may have material gain and success as long as you're not a Muslim. Right? Yeah. You don't want to do that. You don't want to sacrifice your Islam because of the material hasana. You want hasana in its jami sense, no doubt a comprehensive sense. But you definitely don't want to sacrifice your spiritual hasana or anything else. <laughs> and this is a conclusion 
and this is what drives my point even harder, that indeed for those who are patient, their ajr will be fulfilled without any measure, without any hisab, without any measuring and computing. So those who are patient, their reward is immense, meaning if they're patient in a place where they can't worship Allah the way, the way they want to, they should wait until the time comes and an opening is there and then they can leave. Until that time there's sabr and for those who have sabr there's a huge reward, such a reward that is beyond computing without any hisab, no hisab whatsoever and those who have sabr. So this is sabr at the highest level where you're in a place where, God forbid, you can't worship Allah the way you want to, and you are patient, but you seek a way out. And until the time comes where you're able to leave and seek asylum elsewhere, you are patient and you bear whatever uh, issues that are thrown at you. Yeah. So now, we may juxtapose this with the first issue of uh, affliction mentioned in ayah number eight, Affliction comes on man and man calls God. In here, in this case, affliction comes because man calls God. There's a difference. In the first ayah, the affliction comes and then man calls God. Here, man calls God and because of that, affliction comes. So there are two separate now stories there. So in this story, it is because you are worshipping Allah uh, that you are in distress. In the first case, you're not in distress, and then distress comes upon you, then you start worshipping Allah. So there you're worshipping Allah because of distress, and here your distress is because you're worshipping Allah, like the Sahaba in Makkah. They were in distress because they worshipped Allah and Allah alone. So you see the two sides of the, the coin here. Right. So here we have a sabirun, those who are exceptionally patient. Their reward is bighayr hisab, Allah will reward them immensely, if not in this world, then at least in the world hereafter, uh, for which there are so many hadith, as we know, patience bears fruits everywhere in this world and also in the world hereafter. But they will not let go of the hasana that Allah already has given them. Okay. So when, when you measure this against the first part of the ayah, لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُوا فِي هَذِهِ الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةِ Where is the hasana for those who are being persecuted because they're Muslim? You understand the question? The first part of the ayah says, for those who do good deeds, for them there is hasana in this world. Where is the hasana if they're being persecuted because they're doing good deeds? Then that means what I said, that the hasana is spiritual. The hasana is their unflinching faith and belief in Allah and their desire and love to worship Allah at all times, regardless of their circumstances. That is the hasana that Allah promises those people who do ihsan, do good deeds. That is how the sahaba uh, saw these ayat and that's how they reflected 
and because of their sabr and patience, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them Medina and gave them the Ansar. But that doesn't happen to every person who is being persecuted because of their worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saves us from persecution, saves us from distress and affliction in this world, and also saves us from distress and affliction in the other world. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Sallallahu ta'ala ala khayr khulq. Muhammad wa alihi wa sahabihi ibrahim. Rahmatika ya Allah. We'll have salat in 10 minutes, inshallah.